Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we are going to rock a chat with Jeff, who is an author, speaker, and contributing editor for Inc. Magazine, where his articles on leadership, entrepreneurship, and goal achievement are read by over 2 million people each month. He is the author of the bestseller, The Motivation Myth, How High Achievers Really Set Themselves Up to Win. And as a highly in-demand ghostwriter, he has authored more than 50 nonfiction books. That is serious. That's a serious amount of books, Jeff. (laughs) Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. It it is uh, good to be here. And since you said that, I'm over 60 now because I don't update my bio nearly as often as I should. So... I will update the show notes, but that, wow, that is, that's a lot. There's a lot of writing and I can't wait to dive in because I mean, if, if when looking into your backstory, you wouldn't predict <laughs> you'd be ghost writing 60 books and, you know, writing all of these, these in, in, uh, influential, impactful uh, articles and, and whatnot. So, well, but that's with, that uh, just to, since you brought that up, yeah, the, I started, go, i so I worked in manufacturing, as you alluded to, and my goal was to run a plant. And I got to where I was running a plant. And so that was my dream. I spent 20 sure. years doing it. So two years in, I thought, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. So what I had wished for was not what I really wanted. And so I was, one day I was, my wife would say I was whining. I would say I was discussing the fact that I wished I could do something different. Um, but she would say I was whining. And I, she said, well, then what do you want to do? And I, for some reason, I said, I think I would like to be a writer. I had never written, never, no background, no other than things I wrote for work. But for some reason, that seemed appealing. And she said, okay, well, then maybe you should, you know, try that. Not quit my job, but, you know, nights and weekends. It was yeah. a side hustle before they were called side hustles. And so... But I didn't actually do it. And I just kept whining. And so one day she came home and said, I got you your first client. You're writing a press release for this guy that I just met. And I thought, oh, I don't know how to write a press release. I don't have <laughs> I, it. Was, so it turned out to be the worst paying by the hour job that I probably ever had because I spent forever on it. And it was a flat yeah. fee kind of a thing. But I gave it to him and he liked it. And he had me do a couple other things. So we fast forward and I'm still in the whining stage and she signs me up on Elance, which now it's called Upwork, but it's the site where freelancers and people need jobs done connect. And she creates a profile. She bids on jobs and she's gotten me jobs. And so I'm like, I I, I don't know how to do those either. So ghostwriting to make the longer story shorter than it should, than it is, um, or than I'm making it. Ghostwriting was the only way that I could write because nobody wanted to read anything by me. Who am I? So I kept putting my name on it was silly. But if other people had something they knew they needed and I could do it, then that was a way to make a living that way. So I spent well over a year doing that nights and weekends until I got to the point where I thought, okay, I think I can see a path towards doing this. And And I finally quit. But you know, the whole idea of the writing books for other people, I built up to that, but it came from the fact that I didn't think anybody wanted to read or hear from me. But Mm. so I was like the, you know, you're the architect. So you have the concept or sometimes by the time I, by now, sometimes people don't even have a concept. They just know they can sell the book. And so I come up with the concept too. But at the time it was, you have a concept, you're the architect, I'm the carpenter, I'll build it for you. I'll hand it to you. Now you live there, you know, I don't get to keep the keys and I don't get any ownership and I don't go into cover, which I'm totally fine with. Um, So that that really is where that started. And 
you know, since, since part of your focus with this is on, you know, better mental health or, or optimizing your life in some fashion or whatever, that was a really key turning point for me because I could have gone on working in manufacturing until today. And yeah. I probably would have continued to be really good at it, but I didn't like it and it wasn't fulfilling and it didn't lead yeah. itself towards living kind of in a broader sense, the life that I wanted to live. Why do you think your wife was doing the inside sales essentially? Like what, what do you think she was seeing that maybe you weren't seeing at that time? Um, I think the biggest thing was that I'm, I'm old enough that I grew up at a time where the paradigm was still that you got a good job at a big company. And I was working for a fortune 500 company. And if you worked hard and did well, that's where you stayed because that's how you built your career. And so while I wanted to do something different, I just struggled with the idea. There was a block for me of, okay, well, I would like to do something different, but I don't really know how, and it seems kind of scary, and wow, I've put all this time into this. So I had all these sunk costs I was hanging on to mentally and emotionally and all of that other stuff. And so I think she just saw it as a, all right, well, let's see if you really do want to do that. Like she wasn't trying to make me change completely. It was like, if you say you're interested in that, well, let's explore it. And it may turn out that you are, or it may turn out that you're not, but at least you'll know. And then you can move on from there. So she's, to give her credit, she's the driver behind probably every really good decision I've made in the last 20 years. You can forward her this episode. <laughs> yeah. No, well, she knows that. I, I say it all the time. It's, you know, I, I, I think that she, how do I say this? Whatever potential I have, she recognized well before I recognized it in myself. That's probably the best way to put that. And I think everybody needs somebody like that in your life. If you think about it from a leadership point of view, sometimes the best leaders are the people that spot things in the people that work for them that that person hasn't spotted yet. And they pull them along to where that becomes actualized. That doesn't mean that the employee appreciates it at the end or recognizes that that's what happened, but that's okay because that's your job as a leader to develop people and get them to a better place. When I think it's just like, I think of actually my wife as well, because she's been quite instrumental in the last, uh, well, last 14 years, but definitely in the last even six months where, you know, things have been like up and down and, and, uh, let's say the last three years of just leaving the corporate world and jumping into mental fitness and starting to write the book and then the books out and, and just the up and down of, uh, jobs or no jobs and, and whatnot and following, you know, the, the, the plan essentially. And there, there's been many times I said, ah, I just go apply for a job at Headspace or Com or something, <laughs> you know, go be a, a, a product director or brand manager. I mean, I've got experience doing that. I'm passionate about the space. And, and she's always on the other side. Why would you do that? Like you're working so hard. You worked so hard on the book. You're working so hard on working one-to-one with people and client and corporate and stuff like that you know, like just keep going essentially. Right. And I think it's just a good sign of, uh, just a good partner. And to your point, personally and professionally, I think in those scenarios, you need that other person or, or team of people to, to, to pull you out of the, the mental fog essentially. Right. And, yep. and provide a different perspective. So, yeah, there's a, there's an interesting study. I, I can find the link for it if you need it, but basically it, it says that partner conscientiousness, which means that, you know, if your significant other is, you know, somewhat detail oriented, kind of keep the, keeps the trains running, stuff like that. If you have a partner like that, then 
statistically, your earnings power, your promotability, your career success, all of that mm. stuff is increased just because it kind of spills over a little bit, whether it gives you an example or whatever else, else it might be. And my, and my wife is the most organized and goal-seeking, goal-achieving person that I'm around as well. And I know some of that rubs off on me too, because back when I was dithering around deciding whether to do it or not, you know, there's a big difference between wishing and hoping and actually acting. And yeah. I was still living in wishing and hoping land and kind of lazy about it. And she's more like, well, if you have that idea, the only way to know whether it works is to go explore it. So, um, so yeah, so yeah. I, that, that, and it doesn't have to be your significant other, but there's a lot of business people I know that that's one of the roles that their business partner fulfills for them. Yeah. It's like they're great with ideas. They're great with concepts. They're great with innovation. They're great with all sorts of other stuff, but they're terrible at keeping trains running on time. And if that's you, you need the train runner. But if you're only a train runner, which nothing wrong with that, you kind of need that other person to push you. And so I was running my career train, but mm. I wasn't looking out at what's beyond that. And so, so it's, it's a neat little interplay. Yeah. I love it. You know, it, it, just what you shared and, and obviously with the ghostwriting and everything like that, there, it's very clear you have a love for the craft of writing. I mean, what, what is it for you about writing and, or maybe not even better? I mean, shoot, what, what is it about writing though, that, that gets you up in the morning and keeps you, you know, writing that many books plus articles. And I mean, the first press, like all of that, right? I mean, that's, that takes work. Well, it, at first it was, I wasn't very good. <laughs> sure. Straight up. I wasn't very good. So at first it was just, man, I, if I think I want to do this, I've got to get better. And that was a driving force enough. And then by, by effort and application, which is one of my basic theories, motivation comes from effort and act, uh, uh, effort and activity and a little bit of success. That's where your motivation comes from. It, yeah. it doesn't start up front usually. And so that helped me kind of keep forging ahead and trying to get better and better and better. But I did reach a point where I had some level of skill, I thought, and some level of success with it. And the actual writing part is not always fun. And that's people will email me, email me all the time and say, you know, I want to be a writer, but I'm kind of stuck and I'm slogging and I'm whatever. And I thought, well, that's the job. You know, mm -hmm. there are times if you're going to do a good job, it isn't going to be that fun sometimes because you're going to struggle and you're going to realize yeah. it's not that great and you're not going to see a way out and you're going to scrap stuff. And there's all of that there. I've gotten better about that. And I'm, I'm not nearly as big of a draft killer as I used to be, <laughs> you know, cause I can almost see it in my head now before okay. I write it and I can come pretty close. So like if I write a 800 word article, it takes me about 25 minutes probably and then I'll, okay. br I'll breeze through it and look for typos and still miss one. Um, but yeah. that's pretty much it. Um, but not always is the process fun, but the outcome is really fun, especially if you've done good work. And it's like anything else in life that you do. The process isn't always fun, but if you can't commit to the process, you don't get to the fun part, which is when you look at it and go, you know what? I, I feel really good about that. I, even if no one likes it, I feel like I did a good job. I feel good about that. Yeah. And I learned something from it that hopefully will make it better the next time. So I, to answer your question, I don't always love it, but I do like it. And I do like when it works. Yeah. Well, it seems like over, I mean, there might be parts of the process, but overall just 
the career of being a, a writer in, in all these different mediums seems like it's something that lights you up, right? Well, something and that's of there's, interest. But there's another, <clears throat> from the kind of mental health side of it, if you want to call it that, it affords me the opportunity to live a lifestyle, and I don't mean financially, although it's been good to me, but sure. it allows me to live a lifestyle that I much prefer to when I was doing 10, 12 hour days, six days a week, going yeah. home, worrying about what's happening at the plant that night, you know, all of that other stuff. Because as I got better at it and got some success, I could shape some of the things that I worked on. And I yeah. could I could pursue things that I was interested in personally, but that also were rewarding professionally. And so if you get to that place, then you know, if, if you want to talk about work-life balance, the closer your work comes to things that you would kind of choose to be doing anyway, at least in part, then the less you have to worry about the balance because it's just a natural thing. Like, for example, yeah. I like I like auto racing. So okay. I, I found a way, because every race team is a business, I found a way to write about kind of the business side of racing, which got me exposed to racers and team owners and people like that. And I end up, I go to races, I get hosted by teams, I get to see behind the scenes stuff. I went to a... There's a Skip Barber Racing School, which is a, it's probably the premier racing school for average people in the country. And I went to one at Road Atlanta, which is a, a famous track in Georgia. And okay. I was there for the day with Ross Chastain, who's a NASCAR driver, because he's a buddy of mine. And so he's teaching me, but I'm learning from the instructors. And so, and then I wrote about it. So yeah, it all, awesome. it all wraps up together really nicely. And I do that with other stuff, like whether it's music or other things. So I can find ways now that I've, I've reached a certain point that I can say, okay, how do I make this work for me on multiple levels? And back when I was running a plant, the only other level it worked on besides this is my career and this is how I get paid is that I occasionally got the enjoyment of developing people and mm -hmm. seeing them thrive, which don't downplay that because that's a really cool thing. Yeah. But that was about it. And sometimes you would work really, really hard at it and it wouldn't work <laughs> or they would take it in a different direction or whatever else it was. So the fact that I can shape what I do kind of in a broader sense now, that's the really that is the really satisfying part of it, because I get to blend the work in the life part and it's a little more seamless. I think it's a really good observation or, or way you're looking at. I mean, I've experienced this as well through just the podcast and just being able to even try different health related products where then I can help support what they're doing, but with a genuine interest in, Hey, let's, let's see what this can do for our mind and so forth. And it, to your point, it's just, it's, it's a way, it, it's way more fun. You know, mm -hmm. you're in there cause you're, you're, you're excited about it. There's, there's a win-win and usually in some capacity. So I, you know, I'd encourage people that are listening, maybe the prompt cause we're, we're pretty prompt based in, on this show. It's something to the effect of of looking at what you do day in and day out, and how can you how can you weave that in to the things that really light you up and your passions and so forth. And there's probably there's there are probably openings there, right? If you just take some time and think about it. Yeah, and the the key to that is that you don't have to change jobs in order yeah. for that to happen. Like, I, I think last week somebody was talking to me and saying, "Wow, you know, I." I don't feel fulfilled. I don't like my job. I need to do something else. I don't get to do what I like. And I said, well, what do you really like to do? And she said, well, I, I like helping people. 
I said, well, you don't have to change jobs for that. Just look around <laughs> and say, okay, I'm good at this and I'm experienced. There's two new people that started last week. I could probably help them become part of the company. I could probably help them and mentor them. I could probably guide them. If you have customers, you can help them. There are ways that you can make a difference in the lives of other people, no matter what you are doing, if, as you put it, that lights you up. So yeah. you don't have to make this huge sea change in your life. You just have to take a step back and say, all right, what do I really like? What, what fulfills me? Where And then where can I find avenues to do that within what I'm currently doing. And the cool part about that is if you do that, you will enjoy what you do better. You'll probably be better at it and you will probably succeed better in whatever that profession is because now it's more of an expression of you and you try harder and you work harder and you're more persistent and people see you shine. And so, yeah, yeah, you, uh, the prompt is a great one, but you don't have to change what you're doing. You don't have to change locations or anything else. You can you can start with where you are. Yeah. Well, you just need to pause and, and think about it, which, I mean, I say that kind of tongue in cheek because we don't pause and think very much, right? We're always on autopilot. So yeah. if we can do that, uh, a lot of things open up. Hello, everyone. I first wanted to say thanks for being here and I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to let you know if you're interested, I just launched the Better Questions newsletter designed to provide you with a consistent 15-minute opportunity to pause and think because a pause leads to clarity and operating with intention where we all win and thrive. The newsletter is short, simple, and practical, providing you with three quality reflective prompts and mental fitness twice a month. But as always, I'll adjust the frequency based on your feedback. Never forget, at any point, you are always one question away from a completely different life or outcome. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com, which will also give you a free preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. BehindTheHuman.com. Now back to the show. I, I definitely want to touch a little bit more on just energy management. I know this is a topic that is of interest to you and that you've written about. And, and these two things may link, but before I move there, though, I really want to ask how, how you keep your mind clear when you have multiple writing assignments or projects and, and, and maybe you don't, maybe, maybe I'm just combining, obviously, uh, a, a whole career of books and so forth. But in my mind, I'm thinking there might, there, there must be a lot of project or task shifting. And, you know, that's, that's an art to be able to do that. I feel like I'm doing that right now. I'm working on three different keynotes that are all kind of different angles. And I'm starting to get confused on, oh, shit, was that that one or this one? And I've got to like take take a step back to, to refocus. Um, I've kind of I've kind of developed into that. I was really bad at it at okay. first, but I, I tend to just do blocks now. Okay. So yep. usually first thing it, I'll, I usually do, I might write an ink article first and I'll finish it. I don't set it aside like I, I'm terrible at doing half. And then coming back later and trying to do the other half, I'm, I'm good at doing holes and then yeah. coming back later and seeing, you know, because whenever you let something rest for a little bit, you come back yeah. with fresh eyes and you can do better with it. But the stop and start within something is really hard for me. So yeah. I try not to do that. 
the same is true if it's if it's a book project, then I think of sections as discrete little entities, almost kind of like they're articles, even though they're not. And yep. and I'll say, okay, well, I'm working on this one. And I will try to finish whatever I set out to finish that day because that works better for me. And that whole task switching thing, nobody's good at it. Yeah. Half the world claims they're good at it. Nobody's good at it. And I'm terrible at it. And so, yeah. I mean, I can do it, but I know that I'm leaving 50% on the table whenever I do it because I don't get fully switched over and I don't f- shut off the other side very well. And so you feel I, terrible. It yeah. doesn't feel good to be no, in that state. No. So I just try to block things out. Um, okay. And then the best way for me to like from an idea point of view or for a, from a thinking about it point of view, I, the, I do my best work in my head when I'm exercising and the harder the exercise is, the better I do because it strips away all the fluffy stuff. And all you're left with is this little core thing that you can think about and you kind of examine it and realize that, Oh, okay, that really sucks. Or, Oh, okay, here's where I should take it. So I, That's interesting. I exercise does more for, if I go for an hour bike ride, I can write wonderful chapters in my head while I'm still riding hard. I'm not, you know, did the, yeah. um, they never come out quite as good on paper as they seemed in my head when I was writing them. You know how that goes, yeah. um, but they're close. <laughs> um, and so that helps me also kind of from a task switching point of view, because yeah. that that break, it's almost like a palate cleanser if you want to think about it. So if I did something this morning and I was pretty immersed in it, you can't do that for eight hours. I, yeah. I can't. I can't yeah. go eight hours straight at that. So there's a block in there where, you know, I'll exercise, I'll go for a bike ride, I'll lift, I'll do something. And it almost is a reset. And I'll start thinking either, I'll keep thinking about what I did and maybe take some notes and say, okay, Here's mm-hmm. an idea I didn't think I had, or I'll think about what I'm going to do. And it kind of sets you up for, okay, now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do this thing. So, but I like that where it really starts is every, everyone, if you're listening, well, clearly you are, you wouldn't be hearing me, but <laughs> <laughs> take a second and think about whether you really are good at multitasking or not. And I promise you, you're not. We're really yeah. good at doing lots of different things, but that doesn't mean we're good at the things that we're doing when we're doing lots of different things. And so say, okay, well, how do I create, how do I start creating an environment where I can sh- create some little blocks where I can actually focus on things and it will feel like stuff's falling by the wayside, but then you can move on to those things and those things and your total elapsed time will be shorter than if you multitask your way through and the quality of what you do will be better. But it's impossible to start that tomorrow for most people, especially if you work for someone else, because, you know, your job has structure and stuff. But as the more you can block that out over time, the better will you will do. And if I could throw one more thing in about this. Yeah, of course. So I'm convinced that in large part, we train the people around us to treat us a certain way. So if you're a boss and your office door is open, as it should be, but people can pop in at any time and you will drop everything you're doing every time to immediately focus on whatever they brought you, regardless of how trivial it might be, then you are training them that you do not focus in blocks of time on really important work. If you answer every email within two minutes, 
no matter how trivial or the fact that they didn't even tell you they needed a response until next week, you are training them to expect you to do that. And so you're saying, okay, my time is not valuable. My blocks of time are not valuable and I'm not going to focus on stuff. And, and I was terrible at that for a long time. Yeah. And then I slowly started to shift that and I realized that nobody cared. Like if I didn't get back to, to them till tomorrow, they didn't care. If somebody mm-hmm. walked in my office and said, Hey, sometime we need to talk about the shipping problem we've got. I would say, all right, I'll make a note. Can we get together tomorrow afternoon? Yeah, great. They didn't care. Yeah. So your our expectation of what people think is an appropriate response time is way shorter than what they actually are. And there's a, some other study I saw that like after hours work emails, people assume that if they receive one, that the sender expects them to reply. In most cases, the sender doesn't. They just do it. They're sending it because they had the thought and they mm-hmm. don't want to forget it. And they're going to send it to you tonight. But yet people stress and they go ahead and respond. Then it becomes this loop. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a leader and you're sending after hours work emails, always put at the bottom what your expectation is. If your expectation is, hey, just sending this to you so I don't lose sight about it, of it. Let's talk next Tuesday. Say that so that the person goes, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to worry about that. And if you really do need a response, then be explicit about that or better yet, just Don't schedule do it. <laughs> it so that it sends at eight in the morning if yeah. it's not urgent so that the person sees it then. Yeah. So sorry Love about it. that. I know I went way around the barn, but I think that's a good barn. That's important stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think that, the, you know, to your point, I'm glad you brought it up that it may seem like going from zero to a hundred uh, if you're not doing any of these kind of bigger block uh work schedules and whatnot, but I would encourage people to just start, right? And and slowly make the changes. Because the, the other thing I I feel like the recipe uh, for really good work is is a combination of what you just mentioned and also, and equally it's hard to do because we're not trained to do this or it's not uh, supported, but is to inject space right. and time to think, right? Yep. Like it's, I, I'm nearly at, I think 300 interviews or so on this show. And I would say, probably 80 plus percent of everyone that's come on here is doing some sort of practice or some sort of walk in the day where they're thinking or processing, right? Because the, I guess the, the, the other side of that is meeting after meeting after meeting, which just, that just stacks and compounds in your head. And the next thing you know, feels like you need a massage and you're, you're not feeling well and you feel stressed and you feel like you can't get everything done. I mean, that, that doesn't happen overnight, right? But if you're, I think if you're able to take your, your idea of, of these blocks and be focused in that time plus some space, I mean, just those, there's probably other things, but those two things alone yep. <laughs> clear up a lot of mental capacity. Well, as far as a schedule, a full schedule is not a proxy for productivity. Just because uh, yeah. you have your whole day blocked out doesn't mean you're getting anything done. And so, so and then another one would be that, you know, the evolution as a person only takes place in the quiet moments. It doesn't take place yeah. when you're busy and slammed and all that other stuff. It only takes place when you have the time to actually think about whatever it is you're thinking about and make some decisions about it. So I know it sounds odd, but, you know, like when I work out, I don't have headphones on and I don't 
distract myself. It's not because I'm some monk or something, but because, well, part of working out for me is also the fact that I just am forced to live with myself for a little while. And that's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not very much fun, but yet it is a good thing because if you're constantly yeah. distracted, then you're never really thinking. And so I can, you know, I can go for a four hour bike ride and it's fine. You know, you look at yeah. nature and you do whatever and, and all is well. Um, but that takes practice. And I, I had to build up to that because I was a big distractor for the longest time. But the evolution part only takes place in the solitude and quiet, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So is there anything just on the topic of energy management or your work-life balance math? Uh, that was interesting <laughs> to see. Or uh, I was intrigued. Is there anything else you'd like to share on those topics? Well, the so the, the concept of work-life balance math is that most people, if they think about work-life balance, they think in terms of hours. So if I work eight hours, then I should have eight hours to me, you know, because that's a balance. But mm. if you think about me time, and I used air quotes around the me time, um, most people think of that as time that is just yours. And it's, you know, when, when you do something for you or it's special to you or it's whatever it may be. But most of us have jobs, but then you have other responsibilities. You may have kids, you have families, you have friends, you have whatever all those other things are. And so the me time amount is actually really small in their minds. Yeah. So, and then if you're thinking of, if you're an employee and you're thinking about starting a business or a side hustle, well, then that takes up a tremendous amount of time. I would argue, first of all, that if you are starting a side hustle because you want to do something different, that that side hustle time is me time, because anything that is moving you forward in your life or hopefully will move you forward in your life, well, that's me time because that's good stuff. So you yeah. shouldn't see that as, oh, I haven't had any time to myself and I haven't gotten any whatever, because no, you've had a chunk of time you've put into that because you want it to take you somewhere better. So I don't think of exercise as me time because I think that's important. Sleep is not yeah. me time because we function better when we sleep better. So yeah. in a long-winded way, the work-life balance math never works out because you will never even it out. The only way to make that work is to think about the quality of the me time that you have. And that means to be intentional and proactive about it. And so classic mm. example, you know, you're tired, you sit on the couch, you turn on the TV. If you don't have a plan, you're going to default to whatever the least objectionable option is for whatever happens to be on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you sit there and you watch for half an hour and it's boring and you don't really get anywhere. And now you're kind of blah and you're done, but that was your me time. Okay. Yeah. You could have been intentional. And when you've seen something you thought you wanted to watch that, okay, next time I'm watching TV, that's what I'm going to watch. You know, I'm going to watch the crown or whatever it is. That's yeah. what I'm going to do. Okay. Well, that's a more quality me time experience. Or if you come home and you've got some free time and your kids are running around, you can, half-ass your time with them and be kind of distracted by other stuff and checking your phone and doing other things or whatever. Or you can say, you know what, I've only got a half an hour, but I'm going to give it a good half hour and I am going to engage in this and I'm going to enjoy that. And so the only way to make the work-life balance math work is to focus on the quality of the life side, not the quantity, because otherwise you will never make it work out. Yeah. Um, and the reason I where I first started thinking about that, and then I'll stop talking about it. I was at Daytona at the Rolex 24. It's a endurance auto race. And Michael Fassbender, the actor was there. He okay. was, he was running in one of the, it's a Ferrari class. It's for 
really rich people who have enough money that Ferrari will bring a race car to the track for them, which means that he was doing it and I was a spectator, <laughs> which tells you our relative net worth. <laughs> and, but I watched him and I watched him walk around and he was just so pumped up, so fired up. You could tell he loved being there. The whole thing lit him up. Yeah. And I talked to him a little later in the day and I said, man, you, you're loving this. And he said, well, you know, if you do a movie, he said, I'm not complaining, but if you go to a movie, it's 12, 14 hour days, days on end. Your life is really not your own. He said, not complaining. It's just yeah. the way it is. And yeah. so I schedule things like this that I love to do because when I do have that time, I want to make the most of it. So his work-life yeah. balance, our math doesn't work out at all. But the quality of the life part lights him up, yeah. gets him excited, gets him enthused, checks a box inside of him that makes him feel better. So I guess my, my, my ultimate take on that whole subject of work-life balance is you have to be intentional about the life side up to and including scheduling stuff, which seems weird that you would schedule your life things. But if you're willing to schedule a meeting, why mm -hmm. would you not be willing to schedule something that's important to you in your personal life? And I would oh. argue that you should be scheduling your personal life more actively than maybe your work life because, you know, work comes and goes. <laughs> but yeah. family, friends, activities, hobbies, all that other stuff, you know, you're going to look back and wish you had spent more time doing those. So why not be intentional yeah. about it and why not be active about it and why not? Admit the fact that it is really important to you. And if it's important, it's important enough to make sure you do it. Yeah, I love it. I know that was a big soapbox I was on, but I, I think it's a I think it's a really important idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I concur. It's it's essentially part two of my book and living <laughs> intentionally. So <laughs> oh, I support the message. Jeff. Um, and so that you... leads me then to another yeah. subject. Go for so, because you talked about energy management, and people talk about time management all the time, yeah, which is okay. And I, I do think efficiency is important, and managing your time is important, obviously, and scheduling things. I just talked about that; that's important. But time is finite. You only have so mm. much, no matter how hard you try. Where you have dips and valleys that you can better control is at the energy you have within that time. So, if you interact with people, if you choose to let people be in your life who drain energy from you on a constant basis, not only is that time with them a negative, but it takes away energy you could have applied to something else that you would either feel is important or would love to do or whatever else. So there are things in your life that give you energy. Like I can tell from how you do this, you enjoy doing the podcast. It gives you energy and you yeah. probably end it kind of fired up and like, oh, okay, that was really fun. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to go work on this now because I'm, I'm fired up. So yeah, that gives you, you energy. There are things that we all do that take energy away. I don't think you can have this perfectly energy producing no. life, but the more that you can focus on what energy do I get from this and can it be positive, then it creates this really cool flywheel where it takes you to other things and you can use your time better because you have the energy to actually use your time better. So I use the example of people in your life that suck energy from you, could be employees, could be customers, because everybody has that one customer that drains way more energy mm -hmm. than the revenue that they provide to you. There's all kinds of aspects of your life where you can just look and say, okay, 
am I really getting something from this? Or is this something that I just do because it's something I've always done? And if that's the case, that's a perfect way to strip it away because you can't get more hours, but you can find ways to up your energy level so that you experience those hours in a much better way. Love it. Is there, so for you, how, how are you going about doing any type of energy audits, let's just say, or do you, is that, do you take a look at your schedule on a week by week basis? Or is there anything like, what are, what are your flags or cues to be like, Oh, I didn't realize in the time, but I'm not booking that meeting again. Cause that was, that was an energy sucker. <laughs> I, I've gotten really like, I pay pretty close attention to that. Now I have a friend yeah. who actually logs that every day and he logs it on everything he does and then he evaluates it at the end of the day and says okay where was my energy today how does that affect tomorrow like he's wow. he's got met metrics and methodologies to it that are kind of staggering but it, it works incredibly well for him yeah. um, and it makes him very happy like he it keeps You're him like in a very, it. Yeah. it keeps him in a happy place yeah. um for me it's just <clears throat> you know you can tell yeah, you don't need a, a fancy chart. You can tell when you do something, you're like, that was rough. That's a signal that you either have to find a way to automate whatever it was. If it's some process that you do on a regular basis, maybe you outsource it, although oftentimes that's prohibitively expensive, but okay. Maybe you delegate it or maybe you just look at it and say, yeah, I got to find a way. I can't do it tomorrow, but I got to find a way to do less of that. And maybe at some point do none of that. And if you're intentional about it, you can usually drift your way that way. Um, that doesn't mean that you will have this perfectly energy producing life. You know, we can't, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And there is always yeah. <laughs> that, that one uncle or whatever yeah. it is that, you know, you're like, oh. but, and so that's okay. But if you know that going in, then that's okay too, because you recognize that that is the effect it's having on you. So yeah. for me, the, the red flags for me is if I don't sleep enough, mm. that, that I am such a wuss anymore with, uh, when I was 20, I could do it now. I, I need my, I need to sleep a certain amount. I need seven and a half, eight hours or yeah. I struggle. Um, cause I'm a terrible napper. <laughs> so okay. I have to do that. If I don't exercise, that's yeah. a big one. If I eat poorly, that's a big one. And part of it is because all those things are habits now, I probably overemphasize in my mind the energy drain that results just because I, I kind of feel bad. It's like, oh, man, why did I eat that? You know, now I'm going to yeah, feel yeah. terrible. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But that's kind of OK, because then it causes me when I get ready to eat that to think, oh, yeah, you're not going to be happy about that an think hour from it. now. So let's not do so. Yeah. Um, but it. I, for me, it just, if someone's going to try that approach, it just, just as you go through your day, just think, okay, did I get fired up from that? Did that leave me neutral? Was that kind of a downer? If it's a downer, how can I make it better? How can I make it go away? What can I do? Are there different strategies or approaches I can take? Uh, and you'll get better and better at it. But the key to me is just to to admit to yourself that you will never have enough hours to do all the things that you want to do, but you can find ways to have more energy so that you can get more of the things you want to do done. Yeah. It's, I mean, the thing is like you, you, you just provided a ton of prompts there. I think that's <laughs> the key is that people, I mean, you, you didn't realize that you were doing it, but that's, that's the mental fitness again, because 
a lot of people don't do that. And again, I'll come back to the autopilot concept. I mean, you're just flowing through. And at one point you probably realize, oh yeah, it seems like there's some sort of pattern here in meetings with this person or doing this activity that it's, that it's draining, but a lot of time can go by and, and damage can be done before getting to that until, unless you start training yourself, like you said, I think on a daily basis, just, it, and this doesn't take a long time. It just, how was that? Yes or no? I mean, am I energized or not essentially? And just paying attention, right? Um, goes a long way. goes a real long way. Um, last, I guess I'm going to start wrapping up, Jeff. It's just, I mean, I could talk to you all day though, but you've got a lot of really great prompts and, and tips here. I'd love to know like what, what you're excited to try this year or experiment with, whether it's practices, exercises, or even explore different topics. Hmm. Um, you know, that, that is a, that is, I hate when people say that's a really good question because they're, what they're really saying is that, or what I'm really saying when I say that is I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're buying the time. Because <laughs> um, in years past, like like when I when I wrote my book, I, I knew that I was going to market it. And so I knew I needed some hooks that would help me market it. And so one of the things that I did is I decided that for a year I was going to do 100,000 push-ups and 50,000 sit-ups because I knew that that would be something that people would latch on to. Um, So I just broke it. And it it was also part of the process in my book, though, because I broke it down into a daily number. And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, if I do 274 push-ups a day, I'll hit 100,000. If I do 147 sit-ups a day, I will hit 100,000. And I had a a chart and a log and, you know, off I went. Um, So that turned out to be actually oddly fun. Um, even though it sucked at first. Um, but I really like that. And I've done other things where I've trained for certain bike rides or, or other stuff like that. I don't really have anything this year. And I, I think the real reason that I did that is I have a couple really good projects that I, I want to make sure I do well. Um, and I also kind of just need to consolidate a little bit. Um, I've, I've got, Mm. how do I say this? If it's a mental health weakness, it's that I'm really good at deciding to bite off more than I can reasonably chew. And yet somehow I'll chew it. So I'll decide that that was okay. And so next year (laughs) is going to be even more. Um, And it creates this cycle where the ratcheting up of expectations get to a place where I I don't think it's particularly healthy, I guess is the best way to put that. Um, I hate to say it that way because I'm admitting a a weakness and vulnerability, but yeah, it is not particularly healthy. So this year I've, I've not really come up with one other than that I want this to be a year when I keep doing the things that are good for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, cause I, I know that there are things that are good for me. Exercise is good for me. Eating well is good for yeah. me. Sleep is good for me. Working on interesting projects is good for me, you know, stuff like that. Um, but I don't really want to take on some, you know, wow, this is a monumental challenge. Won't this be interesting and a great way to test myself? Cause I probably need a break from that. Um, yeah. which means that by June I'll be frustrated that I didn't do that. And <laughs> I'll be hoping we'll that the end of the two. year will come <laughs> so that I can go ahead and, and do that again. Um, yeah. but that's something that it took me a while to recognize that, you know, just because I can do more doesn't mean I should do more times two and times four and times whatever. Cause yeah, you know, the Navy SEALs line is that when you think you're completely done, you're only 40% of the way there. I, I think that is a lot of times true if you're willing to slog ahead. And I've, mm-hmm. the problem with proving to yourself that you have more in you 
is that you are constantly convinced that you have more in you. And so that, that little self limit thing that you put on yourself, it, it, you get to a place where you don't do it very well and yeah. then it gets to stupid levels. Um, yeah. so, so anyway, I, that was a really long, again, it was a long winded way of saying that, you know, this year is kind of a, I just, I want to do good work. I want to yeah. do good things for myself. I want to do things like this where I get to talk to really interesting people. Um, and I, I kind of want to lay back and, and see what occurs to me in the latter half of the year that would be really fun to do for the next year. Because your, your question is right on for me because I do typically have a theme for a year, not a theme theme, but like, a, okay, this year I want to do X and Y yeah. and Z and, and whatever. I do typically go into years that way. Okay. So, well, there is a theme. It seems like there's a theme and, and what comes to mind actually is something I learned from Chip Conley. Um, and he, he said, you know, we, we spent the first owner, uh, uh, extraordinaire. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> now, uh, founder and modern elder of the, the modern elder Academy, which is, oh, cool. He, yeah, he was just on the show again for a second time and he's doing some really fascinating work. Just again, helping people. I mean, they're all, all age, age ranges, but for the most part, 50 and up and just navigate that's the second half of, of life and it's not over. Right. You know, there's a whole other world. Yep. But his point that, that has always resonated, and this was from the first interview, was that he said, you know, we spend the first half of our life accumulating, right? Accumulating experience, job titles, houses, things. And then the second half of our life, editing. Yeah. And I feel like what you're, what you're describing here is almost like a, an editing process of just, okay, you know, I don't need to, to, bring in all this stuff this year you're gonna have the stuff that really counts and kind of edit the the, the year essentially yeah. or, or or where you're going yeah, it's I an interesting off, point but. now it's an interesting point because I, I i'm actually a really good editor anyway like we yeah we live a fairly streamlined life we don't i you know i i'm really good at weeding out what i think is unnecessary but i'm sure. really bad at weeding out five things that I think that I should do that are incredibly necessary, <laughs> even <laughs> yeah. though they aren't. But I, yeah. I, I do like his idea of you spend a f your first half of your life accumulating. I think you also spend the first half of your life, although you don't realize it because you're young enough not to know that there's a second half, you know, because when yeah. I was 20, there was no 60. Yeah. Um, but you're also spending that time preparing. And Correct. if you're smart about it, you realize that, okay, I have all of this experience and skill and connections and all of these things that I can actually do something with now, as opposed to just doing more of the same. And that's to take this all the way back to the beginning of our conversation. That's what my health, my wife helped break me out of, which yeah. was the idea that I was just going to keep on doing more of the same because that's what I had learned how to do. But wow, I, you know, I, I did well ghostwriting and most of it was business stuff because I had a business background. So I mm. didn't have to, I wasn't a writer who the person had to teach about whatever they wanted. I knew about 95% of what they were going to say. They just had a couple twists that I didn't know. And so I could do that. So yeah. I, I had spent all that time preparing. And so I think that's a really good point though, is that you spend a lot, you should intentionally say, I'm going to gather up a lot of experiences, a lot of friends, a lot of connections, a lot of stuff. I'm going to collect that. Even if I don't know what the plan is, because mm -hmm. later on I will find ways to do that. There's, there's that, uh, 
what is it, Joe Walsh in um, that Eagles documentary say, you know, as you're living your life, it's this scattered mess of dots and happenstance or whatever. But when you look back, all the dots connect. Um, and yeah. I don't think they connect because of fate. I think you make them connect because you have all those experiences and you have all those things in your pocket that then you can make decisions that help them connect as you move forward. Yeah. So, but it, your first half is, is accumulating. Your second half should be editing, but it should also be editing into what do I do with all that stuff that I can make it into a positive. So I take a wide range and I really narrow it down into the stuff that's important to me and that makes me happy and healthy and fulfilled and makes me feel successful. Love it. You're a fascinating human, Jeff. Oh. I, I appreciate you taking some time. I appreciate... Well, it uh, sounds like I have it all together. I don't, but <laughs> but I can talk a good game. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, funny. I mean, listen, I mean, it's uh, you, you, you expose some vulnerabilities in the interview there. I mean, you're a human like the rest of us, which is nice to know. Um, but, you know, I, I can say... Well, at least well can I interrupt then? Because here's yeah, the thing. Go for it. I have one other thing I'd like to say because yeah. of what you just said. Part of my job is that I get to talk to some really successful people in a wide variety of pursuits. Every one of them is just as goofy and odd and strange and quirky and all of that other stuff as anybody else. They've just worked really, really hard to be really, really good at one specific thing. And I think that's not a negative. I think that's an empowering thought. Because if you aspire to some level of success or mastery or expertise or whatever else mm -hmm. it is, and you're looking around and saying, wow, that person's done that. I could never do that. Yeah, you can because they don't have something special that you don't have. You yeah. can get there, too, if you're willing to try or you'll get a whole lot closer than you think you can. And so, yeah, everybody. What is it? The. There's a band, Avenged Sevenfold, and the guitarist, it's not his real name, but his stage name is Sinister Gates. Tells, okay. you what, tells you what kind of music they play. Um, <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know how your language goes on this show, so I'll edit it somewhat. But he says, you know, everybody is some sort of screwed up. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's true. All of us have our things. And, and that's a human thing. And it's a cool thing. But it's also an empowering thing because people, nobody's special. We're yeah. all special, if you want to think about it that way. Yeah, we're, we're, for, so, we're sorry for sorry for interrupting you, but I had no. to throw in my everybody is some sort of screwed up because yeah. that has stuck with me forever and ever. It's a great, great line, especially I'm sure what the original is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know where that was going. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Jeff. Uh, a for for making some time to come chat, and uh, like I said, I learned a lot, which I hope that the listeners did as well. And I mean. Thanks for, for you showing up for your craft and putting all your work out there because you're helping a lot of people. I mean, your work, as you know, reaches um, millions of eyeballs and minds out there. So thanks for you doing that. And I hope this is uh, one of many conversations. Yeah, thank you. I, I, this was a real pleasure. So thank you for having me. 